This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. The city of Chattanooga is getting ready to vote for a new mayor and city council. Early voting will begin February 10th and end on February 25th. The deadline to request an absentee ballot is February 23rd. Election day is March 2nd. Please visit the Hamilton County Election Commission website for more details. I'm here with Andrew McLaren. He is running for the city of Chattanooga mayor. And Andrew, if you could just introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit more about your campaign. Yeah, hi, my name is Andrew McLaren. I am the father of three kids. My daughter Zoe is nine. My sons Alex and Andrew are nine, uh, sorry, 12 and 13. And I'm running for mayor because I volunteered for the city and saw kids sleeping on the floor. And that bothered me. And I came out of pocket and, and purchased beds for them. I'm running for mayor because I'm sick of seeing our firefighters living in poverty, making $10 an hour. I'm going to make sure that every city employee gets a livable wage. I'm running for mayor because I'm sick of seeing corrupt people taking advantage of good people in our city. So I'm going to bring ethics, honor, uh, the same way that when I worked for the State Department, protecting American diplomats, the same way I did when I was in the Marines, serving in Liberia in combat and Iraq in combat. Uh, I'm a fighter. I'm an underdog. We are winning this election. People say, Andrew, you're younger than a lot of the other candidates. You've got less experience than some of the candidates. And I say, my heart is in it for the people. We are already doing gang intervention. We brought together Cameron Williams with the police chief to help find unity during the riots and the protests. We have done gang intervention, convinced dozens of people to leave gangs and put them to work in construction. We have changed lives and hired hundreds of people throughout the city of Chattanooga. And when I'm in City Hall, I'm only going to accept the rookie cop salary of $34,000 a year. The remaining $128,000 of my salary is going to go directly and transparently to people living in poverty. We're going to make our city sustainable. I'm going to adopt Green Space's plan to make our city as sustainable environmentally as possible. I'm going to stand up against defunding the police, but we are going to revolutionize our police department and change the culture. And we're going to make sure that we are proactive that we're not just reactive, that we're preventative, that we're doing community policing. We're going to reprioritize the police budget and move money out of the intelligence sector and put it into more community policing. I'm going to move Police Chief David Roddy out and bring in Glenn Scruggs. Glenn Scruggs was an outstanding homicide detective. He comes from a very poor neighborhood in Avondale, rose up through the ranks, and he's now the assistant police chief and ran for state senate. And he's an outstanding human being that gets it. So I'm in the fight. I'm in the projects at night doing toy drives, food drives, gang intervention, getting people baby formula, getting people diapers. I'm standing up to the corrupt people that put in the business improvement district that unconstitutionally double taxes our citizens and kicks homeless people out with a private police force. I'm not about the bottom line. I'm about putting people over profit and putting humanity over greed. And we're going to govern with empathy and we're going to take our city back for the people. I know you see my peace signs all over the city. And I am about peace and unity and love. And I'm about sitting down and listening and seeking to understand before we're understood. But I am also about standing up and knowing when to speak up. And I'm a fighter and we're going to fire every corrupt official in our city when I'm elected. Thank you so much. I'm Andrew McLaren and I ask you for your vote. 
So I want to I want to dive into some of those issues that you brought up in a little bit and get into more detail. But uh, to kind of get anywhere, we need a, a foundation to build on. So I'm wondering, what do you think Chattanooga's top strength is? What is it the top asset that we can build off of and and you know use as a foundation to fix some of these problems that you're talking about? Right. Our foundation is our is our people. We've got fantastic people in Chattanooga from all walks of life. We are going to invest in our people. I'm so tired of, we've got plenty of money here. We've got an annual uh, budget of about $273 million a year. So it's just about putting the money in the right places and then hiring the right people, not relying on cronyism and nepotism. Like an example is the Homeless Coalition has failed abysmally. And it's gotten tons of money. And there's about 400 charities that are helping the homeless. But the problem is Mayor Burke hasn't put in the right people. He's putting people in positions that are treating the homeless situation like a nine to five job, not like a 24 seven commitment. So I'm going to take people that actually have skin in the game that were homeless and put them into the situation so that they can actually mentor people from a firsthand experience. We're going to make sure that we treat this as a human issue and not just a, uh, a job. And I'm going to open up every available space of government housing, including in city hall and getting our homeless in there so that we can monitor them, so that we can help rehabilitate them, so that we can help get them jobs with livable wages. So our greatest asset here is people. And some of the things that I propose might be a little bit more expensive in the short term, but it's going to be cost effective in the long term. And this is, I want to make our, uh, all of our city vehicles green and electric as soon as we can. And, you know, some people hear that and they think that, oh, this is going to maybe cut jobs down and this is going to be expensive. No, this is going to actually create jobs in, in the environmental sector, in the, in the green sector, and it's going to help us be sustainable and save money. The plastic bag tax, I'm the only candidate in this race that's proposed the plastic bag tax that's worked in over 400 cities. Guess what? If you don't want to pay 10 cents for a bag, bring a reusable canvas bag and you don't have to worry about it. But if you do want a plastic bag, 10 cents, that's great. And we take that money and we pay our first responders a livable wage. We invest it into our infrastructure that's falling apart. And this is a way that we can actually create revenue without having to jack people's taxes up, without having to put a toll in. Some people put in the toll. I think that's way more inconvenient than having to pay a toll than having to pay 10 cents for a plastic bag. Just get a reusable canvas bag and you don't have to worry about it. Uh, so that's one something something... I do want to touch on before we move on. Uh, that's that's actually a subject of state preemption that the state has said that cities cannot have a plastic bag tax. So how do you plan on handling that with the state government? Right. Well, we talked about this last night in the Democratic um, Party forum, and we talked about Monty Brule said he's willing to sue the state of Tennessee over several issues. I would definitely be willing to sue the, the state of Tennessee. This plastic bag tax has worked successfully in over 400 cities. And you can Google it. Uh, Vox wrote an article about it. There's been many, many articles on it. But I plan on working unionizing. And also, don't forget, the state also says that city employees can't officially unionize. Even though there's the SIEU 205, there's still the thing in the state legislation where it says that. So I plan on working synergistically with the big four. Knoxville's mayors, Nashville's mayors, Memphis's mayors. Because as Monty Brule said yesterday, we have 65% of the state's population and we bring in a lot of the revenue. We need to team up together and, and, uh, and kick back against mm -hmm. the state. 
and stand up to, to Governor Billy and say, look, we need to look out for our city's best interest. And it's the same thing with marijuana. I want marijuana to at least be decriminalized. I would rather have it be legalized. Uh, and it's also what I'm going to have to do as mayor with the county mayor, with Coppinger, with the Hamilton County uh, School District, because our schools are under the control of the county. So I know there's going to be, um, I know how to navigate the human terrain and work with with different people. And you need to be a, a bridge builder. You need to be diplomatic. And like I said, you need to know when to pick your battles. And if it's a time for me to pick my battle, which is standing up for our kids against the county, if I feel that our kids aren't getting a fair education or an equal education, then I will stand up to the county. I'll try to do it as diplomatically as possible. And there's going to be a lot of times, like with the masks, I think that it would have helped after all the science was conclusive. It would have helped us out if Governor Billy would have made the statewide mask mandate. Because I know that in Chattanooga, a lot of people were wearing the masks. But then if I go a town over, nobody's wearing masks. So let's all get on the same page here. It doesn't make sense for where it, it's they lacks common sense that Chattanooga, you have to wear the mask to town over. Nobody wears a mask. So let's get on board with Knoxville. Let's get on board with Memphis. Let's get on board with Nashville and let's lobby and, and advocate for our individual cities. And I think that's going to help all of us do better in Chattanooga. And I'm that fighter. If I need to sue the state of Tennessee, I will. But I'm hoping that because I'm diplomatic and I'm an independent and I can reach across the aisle and work with progressives and work with Republicans, I think that I can have a better relationship with Mayor Coppinger at the county level and I can have a better relationship with Governor Lee at the state level than than Mayor Burke has. You've brought up the budget a couple different times, and I want to ask some more detailed questions kind of diving into that. Uh, so the mayor does lead that budget writing process and you know, how how will the community input process for that budget change under your administration? Uh, currently, we have the budgeting for outcomes process that started in November and it runs through June. What, what would your budgeting process look like? Right. We want to be as inclusive as possible. So I want full participatory budgeting. So I want to sit down with each city council member and then activists and neighborhood associations that are within each district. Because we recognize that the needs in District 1 are completely different than the needs in District 8. And, and the district, you know, every district has their own uh, unique cultures, own um, individual, uh, you know, stores, businesses. So we are going to create a small business task force that's citywide. And it's going to also utilize a lot of these principles. I don't believe in micromanaging. Yes, we're going to develop the plan, but we want as much input as possible. So I would say to every single city council member, and I, and I have a good relationship with uh, Councilwoman Coonrod, for instance, in District 9. And she can say, OK, Andrew, this is what my, what my community wants in District 9. And then she'll tell me what all the different neighborhood associations within her district suggest and want. And then we'll sit down and we'll hash out a plan that makes sense for our entire city. I think some people have come up with the complaint that they felt that Mayor Burke wasn't inclusive enough with how he how he developed the budget. We're going to be very measured. We're going to be very diplomatic. We're going to be fair and balanced. And we're going to be as inclusive and incorporate as much participation as possible. And we're not afraid to take risks. I really want to be bold. I want to be cutting edge. I want to be state of the art. 
And I really want, I want to hear some of the most cutting edge ideas that neighborhood associations, grassroots activists have, uh, you know, for murals, for example, I, I, I really love the arts. I'd like to get as many murals as possible. I want to, but before we put paint on the streets and paint the buildings, like I'm appreciative, appreciative of what uh, Bloomberg Philanthropies did. Yes, we need to fix the potholes first. Let's walk before we can run, but also let's be visionary and let's be bold. And uh, yeah, so to answer your questions in short, we are going to welcome full participation from all nine districts and we're going to hash out our budget. And like I said, we have plenty of money coming in. We really do have a big budget. It's just about streamlining it from cutting out fraud, waste and abuse and moving things around so that it makes sense and that we can make sure that nobody gets left out. And then, you know, kind of moving on to that idea about participation and everything. One of the first kind of interactions many Chattanoogans have had with the budget has been this past summer. And you've, you've already mentioned policing and the Black Lives Matter protests that we had this summer. That was a lot of people's kind of first interaction with the budget you know, going to a city council meeting and expressing their opinion on the fact that $70 million out of our $270 million budget was going to the police force. You've already talked about your, your plan to name uh, Scruggs. Scruggs, that's right, as police chief. Um, there's also a lot of talk about, you know, do we defund police? Do we divest and reinvest? Do we increase funding so we can provide better training? Where do you stand on that issue? What will the police budget look like under your administration? Okay. The, the police budget's going to stay the same. I'm not going to divest. I'll never divest from our police department. And here's why. It's counterproductive. We are losing one officer per week, roughly. And that came directly from the Citizens Police Academy that I attended. They told me that between retire, it sounds like a lot, but if you think about it, it's four a month to retirements uh, to the THP, the Tennessee Highway Patrol, because they pay more. Hamilton County Sheriff's now pay more. And you get benefits at these other local departments like take-home cars, better shifts. It's, it's very difficult to be a Chattanooga police officer these days. They don't get paid a lot of money. So I'm the only candidate that is saying every first responder is going to get a $10,000 annual pay raise. So if we do the math, right now we're at 452 officers. We're supposed to be at $5 million. So roughly, let's say we get up to, I'm sorry, 500. So 500 times 10,000 is 5 million. So if we, if we get up to 500 officers where we're supposed to be and you multiply 500 times 10,000, $5 million, how are we going to come up with that $5 million? And that's not to mention the firefighters, plastic bag tax. The plastic bag tax is going to help bring in that revenue. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If it comes down to doing a small tax increase, to pay our first responders a livable wage, and then we would do that. We're hoping that this plastic bag tax will uh, will eliminate that. You know, ten cents per plastic bag. We think we can bring a lot of money, and we're going to streamline our budget and take um, some money out. In addition, like I said, I'm only going to take a rookie cop salary of thirty four thousand dollars a year, so one hundred twenty eight thousand dollars a year out of my salary is going into our budget. We're going to come up with the money, even if we have to raise taxes, to pay our first responders a livable wage. I'm not going to increase the budget um, with regards to the police department. Mm -hmm. We're going to stay where we are. I am going to take the money out of the community of, I'm sorry, out of the uh, community resilience, out of the interagency, the agency for community resilience that was formed. They put in $2 million. Uh, they took $2 million away 
Chief Roddy told me it came mostly out of his personal Chiefs fund, but they said it's really the equivalent of three million, not two million, because of COVID. We're going to take that money back and put that into the police department budget. And it's not because I think that the police department is perfect. There has been many scandals, but it's still a small percentage of officers that are going out and doing this. But every every officer that's bad is going to get fired under our administration. Every bureaucrat that's corrupt is going to get fired. We have a zero tolerance for bad people. But our good officers and our good firefighters and our good city employees, we have to take care of them. And right now, 40 percent of city employees are being paid below the federal poverty line, including our firefighters who are making ten dollars an hour. I mean, this is just outrageous. They deserve more. We have to pay for them. Uh, I'm going to move some things out. When I looked at where all the money is going for the police department, a lot of it is going to intelligence. So me being a private investigator, when I looked at the, the massive intelligence budget, I've got connections to where I can say, let's find some, uh, some intelligence gathering methods that are a little bit more cost effective. Let's use, uh, there's so many ways that we can sit through it and, and, nickel and dime things that we can save a few thousand here. We can save a few thousand there. We can save a couple hundred thousand here. And I'm going to be very frugal and bring in auditors and make sure that we are as cost effective as possible. But the main takeaway from this is I'm going to fire every bad cop, but divesting money away from the police department is counterproductive because we're going to get stuck with the bottom of the barrel. We're going to get stuck with people that don't have good training. Let's yes. Let's focus on having better officers on recruiting better officers retaining better officers, getting more African-American police, because we only have 17% of the CPD is black, but we have a 34% black population. And let's, yes, get better de-escalation training. Let's also get more martial arts, because some cops that I've dealt with are so overweight that they can't fight. So I've actually been working with them to say, hey, you guys need to lose weight, and you need to learn martial arts so that your first thing is not to just go to the pistol. You can try to use defensive tactics and martial arts like the stuff that I used in the Marine Corps, and that would help out. So, yes, better better standards for the police department. And mm-hmm. you can't get better standards if you're taking the money away. Mm-hmm. So I'll move on and shift gears and talk a little bit about development. Um, it's, a, it's a big issue right now. It's been in the news a lot. Uh, several new subdivisions have been going through city council. Uh, some people in the city that I've talked to are worried about overdevelopment, that we're not being stringent enough with our controls around water quality, wastewater, uh, traffic generation, and that kind of thing. And then some people think that we're being too harsh on development and that it's you know, keeping our housing prices high because supply can't keep up with demand. So I'm wondering, what would your administration do around development to kind of right-size that development regulation? Well, if somebody was trying to say that there's not enough development and that's hurting the supply, I completely disagree with that. I'm going to always side with the people, the profit, and humanity over greed. I do want to work with groups like the Chattanooga, Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise. I do want to work with Caleb. I think Caleb has a lot of great plans. Um, what I'm noticing is too many trees are being cut down in Chattanooga. We have a really pretty city. I'm noticing that there's massive four-story condos all over my street on Mountain Creek Road, for instance, but there's no new gas station. So it's actually lowering people's quality of life. You now have a lot more traffic, at, which is hurting air quality. It's making people's commute times longer. So I don't think the problem is that we don't have enough development. I think the problem is that there's not enough representation from people that are renting. 
and that's why rent prices are going up. We have the fastest rent increases in the country. We're tied, I believe, with Cincinnati. And the, you know, the Times wrote an article about it. So I'm going to run slumlords out of town. We are going to make sure that we have equity, that people have an equal spot at the table, whether or not you're a landlord or a developer or you are a tenant or you're a member in a grassroots organization like a neighborhood association. We're going to have participation. I don't want on the flip end, I want people to know that I stand with the people and, you know, with the working poor. But we also need to incorporate developers. I was out surveying a homeless camp over by in the Food City parking lot over by the Signal Mountain Walmart. There was a lot of homeless people. And I ran into, I guess he told me he was the owner of the property. And we had a heated discussion. It turned into an argument. He was like, you're running for mayor. You need to clean this up. And I said, sir, I understand your frustration, but I need your help. I go, these people are, are hurting. You're upset because your land is getting polluted and you're worried about it hurting your bottom line. I get it. But let, I'm, and I'm that bridge builder where I can identify how we get these homeless people off the street. Yes, we need to get them into a house. We then need to focus a lot of times on rehabilitation, on job placement, on mental health treatment. And then we do need to incorporate the big money people. And I'm familiar working with a lot of big money people because I'm a private investigator and I'm also a bodyguard. So I'm used to protecting these people and picking their brains. And I've realized that not all filthy rich people are greedy or selfish. There are some good people out there. I believe that. So it's, it's, it's finding common ground and convincing people that are very, very wealthy and landowners and in these positions of power and developers to Hey, let's save the post oak at the quarry. Let's not cut down our big old trees and our landmarks. Let's be sensible. Let's build something that's aesthetically pleasing. That doesn't uh, doesn't have to be you know ten feet off of the street like the Avondale Youth and Family Development Center, which I was upset that didn't have a pool and they built it right on top of the street and already I believe a, a drunk driver crashed into. Let's develop and let's progress, but let's do it with a. Uh, in a, a sustainable way that helps our environments that looks pretty and that is practical and also conserves our trees and our resources. So I will be the guy that, you know, that basically has common sense and is reasonable and mm -hmm. can understand that we can't go too far this way and we can't go too far that way. Let's think of what's in the best interest for everybody, but I will always side on, side of humanity and on people over you know just trying to maximize profit mm -hmm. and something you brought up is is the idea you know quality of life traffic you know these new developments inducing new traffic onto our roads uh, another issue that i hear a lot about from my listeners is transportation and how we can improve our transportation network and what that might look like in terms of, you know, multimodal transportation, walking, biking, or an increase in public transportation via CARTA. Uh, where would your administration stand on transportation and how might our regulations around transportation change? Right. Well, I definitely want to have more stops for CARTA. I want to make uh, CARTA free. It's CARTA right now is free for everybody during the pandemic. And they are always free for veterans and that's a great thing. So obviously veterans, I want to be free. I think college students free. If you're living below the federal poverty line free, Monty says free for everybody. I think me personally, well, I'm a veteran, so I would get it for free anyway. I think let's say it's going to be free if you're poor, if you're living below the federal poverty line 
or if you're a veteran or you're a college kid, free. Everybody else that's not a senior, and free for seniors. I think if you're, uh, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, you can pay the, the the price for it because we do need a little bit of money to come in. So I'm not going to say it's going to be free for everybody. I do want, um, I do want a lot more stops. I want a better schedule, and we can sit down with the neighborhood associations and have as much participation as possible. And I also want to have a green electric vehicle that can kick people if they can't get get to their jobs pick them up and take them now when i volunteered for the city i would sometimes take homeless people that the city had put in motels and one guy for instance was in his 50s and he was riding his bicycle five uh spot i'm sorry five miles to his job at domino's pizza so I, i would pick him up and take him to his job and then there was another kid he was a former gang member and he had a job working at uh like 5 30 or 6 a.m didn't have a way to get there and i would pick him up and that's just me doing a couple of good deeds. Let's get more people to volunteer for the city. And if we can, let's pay them to do it, to, you know, to pick up 10, 20 people and take them to their jobs. I would like the buses to be able to do that, to take as many people as possible to their places of employment. And I also want a trolley system because I think the trolley system would help generate tourism and it would be cool and it would make public trans- uh, transportation attractive. Because right now, CARTA is underutilized. We have to make it um, more popular and the way that we can entice more people to do it is by making it free for more people I think that a lot of people that ride the bus are living in poverty and we'll make it free for everybody that's living in poverty we'll make it free for every college student it's already free for every veteran and that's how we'll entice more people and also like I said a lot more stops and a more convenient schedule mm-hmm. now Monty Brill brought up a possible ferry system uh, I'll look into that. I think that's interesting. We'll see about the about a ferry system over the river. Maybe that'd be cool. I used to, they, the museum, I'm sorry, the aquarium used to have a boat, and they stopped doing it, I believe, but I used to take my kids out in the boat that the aquarium had, and it was a lot of fun. So I want to switch gears again and talk about uh, COVID, and you've already mentioned kind of our health policy being uh, not coordinated very well. Hopefully by the time that we have a new mayor, the health policy won't be as big an issue because the vaccine is coming out and, you know, the case rates are starting to fall. Um, What a lot of people that I've talked to are worried about is the economic impact, especially as these regulations kind of start to phase out around, you know, the PPP loans and the uh, eviction moratoriums. So I'm wondering, what would your administration do around the economic impact of COVID-19 to help struggling small businesses and to help people who are at risk of losing their homes? Right. So day one in office, we are creating a robust small business task force. And I was talking to one of my buddies and he was walking me through how exactly he got the PPE loan. And he was like, it was so easy. And I was like, yeah, man, but you worked for the federal government and you know how to navigate the bureaucracy and the paperwork. We need to, it's a a two part issue with the state small business task force. We're going to have to make it easier. We're going to have to advocate for people and teach people how to do the paperwork so that they're not intimidated by it. I've done this a lot with veterans with their paperwork to get benefits. So we're going to help them navigate the bureaucracy of that and get the paperwork done, fight for them. And then we're going to listen to what they need. We're going to have a small business task force tell us, okay, Andrew, this is what we need. So I talked to a bar, for instance, that my friend owns, and he's like, I paid the beer license and it cost me thousands of dollars. And then, you know, a week after I paid the beer license, my place was shut down. If I was mayor during the pandemic, I would never shut small businesses down, ever. 
if Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Walmart, and all these big corporate chains could stay open, then why would we be hypocritical about it and shut our small business down? Business down. I would never, ever do that. I do believe that we should wear a mask. I think that we should stay six feet apart and social distance. Absolutely. But I would never kill our small businesses by shutting our small businesses down. So we're going to have the small business task force where we're going to help people get the, the PPE loans and as much federal or state money as they can possibly get. We are going to help promote our small businesses through all different events that we can do throughout the city to get people back there and convince people that it's safe. And then I want to hire companies that specialize in HVAC, HVAC, because I'm not just thinking about COVID-19. I'm worried about the next pandemic. And what we can do is we can purify our air like they do on airplanes where the air filtration is constantly filtered and purified. And they're saying that uh, the coronavirus lives in the air. Well, we've got these state-of-the-art devices that we can put in right now. It'll help purify the air, and this might help us avoid, you know, COVID-22. So let's get them in there. Let's put people to work. Let's get these government contracts out. Or better yet, let's get full-time city employees that are able to do this. And let's let's put people to work. And I, I want to bring trade schools back. I think trade schools would help. I've talked to so many college kids that are have tons of college debt, and they're unemployed. If we've got trade schools, guess what? We can teach them how to put in these HVAC units in every small business in our city. So let's use common sense. Let's think practical. I love that job, uh, the the show Dirty Jobs. And one of Mike Rao's quotes was, uh, don't necessarily follow your passion, but bring it with you. If it was up to me, I would be George Clooney and I'd be an A-list movie star right now, making $25 on a yacht in San Tropez with my soulmate. But you know what? I'm having fun because – I'm, I'm with my passion and my passion is, is helping people. And that's what we can do in Chattanooga. And I've been so honored since running for mayor just to get to meet so many people that I probably never would have gotten the, the way to talk uh, to, you know, like just yesterday I was talking to Kim White about campaign signs. Uh, you know, so this has been really an exciting opportunity and we are going to fight for our small businesses. We're going to promote them. We're going to get as much money to them as possible. We're going to cut through the, the bureaucratic red tape. We're going to waive as many of these licenses as we can. If if uh, they paid for a beer license or a liquor license and they're not able to stay open, then why should the city keep their money? I want to look into parking as well. Uh, a lot of businesses have proposed to me that they think it would be better if you could sell a monthly parking permit or your annual parking permit. And if they own a business or if you work in a business downtown, hey, Andrew, would you make parking free for us? Because it's really inconvenient having to run up and uh, and pay the meter every every uh, couple hours or whatever. And you know, I was a member at Burns Downtown, the cigar place, and that recently went out of business. And Mike Hunter, the owner, is a good friend of mine. I know Michael Rice, who owned Mad Priest downtown, and that's gone downtown too. And we're seeing all these businesses, and it's not just downtown. All over Shallowford, there's hotels, there's restaurants that are boarded up, and this really breaks my heart. My daughter, who's nine years old, actually started to cry because one of our favorite restaurants was out of business. And we used to also love to go to the Dwell Hotel downtown and eat over there. And that's out of business. So this is really breaking my heart to see all these great places places go under. We've got to fight for them. We've got to stand up against, um, against the state sometimes, against the county. And we need to do what's right for our people. And the working poor and small businesses are the backbone of Chattanooga and the backbone of our country. So I've got... Um... 
couple more questions for you. One, you're obviously a political outsider yourself. Chattanooga has a reputation of kind of being an insider's club as far as the government goes. And it's it's been changing slowly in the past few years, but it's something I still hear a lot from my listeners. How are you going to make sure that all Chattanoogans are equitably represented? Obviously, in the mayor's role, like I said, you are a political outsider, but how would you make sure that that kind of accessibility is promoted across the board, not just in the mayor's office? Well, by being fully transparent and honest. You know, I gave my spiel in the beginning with my talking points. I believe in the, in the stuff that I've learned throughout my life in the Marines, uh, like working for the State Department, uh, growing up with, with my parents, with honorable parents. My mom was a former social worker, and then she was a probation officer. And my dad was a Vietnam veteran uh, who then became a successful businessman. And they've taught me right from wrong my entire life. Uh, you know, being a father, I, I put, try to put my kids first all the time and think what's in their best interest. I've got a, vet, a vested interest in the city. I've got many friends in the city. I've got my parents are in the city who are elderly. I've got my children. So I'm putting my money where my mouth is, and I'm only accepting a rookie cop salary of $34,000 a year to let people know that it, this isn't about money or power. This is about making a difference, leaving a legacy that we made our city better. We can do this. I am an underdog. Absolutely. I'm a little bit younger and less experienced than a lot of my um, opposition. But I think being as transparent as we possibly can, letting people know that we are going to be fully accessible, that we're going to be held accountable if we make mistakes, that we are going to champion the mantra of seek to understand before we are understood. And we are going to have equity. We're going to have inclusion. We're going to make sure that we have as much participation and diversity in our administration as possible. So I'm grassroots. I'm out talking to neighborhood associations and activists and being that a bridge builder, bringing people together, incorporating the best ideas, admitting when I'm wrong and when I make mistakes. So I would just give people, um, I would say, look at our track records. Look who has been, you know, on the ground, grassroots, not accepting big donations for the Signal Mountain or Lookout Mountain, who's only taking small donations from local everyday people. I don't have any strings attached to big money. I'm in this, uh, you know, at a very, very grassroots level, and we're doing this off of a $5,000 budget. We're doing gang intervention. We're doing food drives. We're doing toy drives. We've been getting people livable wages. We've been uh, organizing interventions and meetings with the police and with gang members on how we can reduce the recidivism rate and how we can reduce violence. So I think when you check the receipts and when you look at it, who's in it for the people and who's in it for special interests and for the big people up on the mountain and corporations, I think the answer is clear. And people, people just need to ask, is Andrew McLaren electable? And I say, yes, of course I'm electable. You just need to elect me. You need to vote for me. You have that power. I'm an ideas guy. I'm an avid reader. I try to be as humble and uh, have as much humility as possible. And, you know, it's you're constantly rejected when you're out in the campaign trail and, and told that you can't do it and that it's impossible and that you're wasting your time and your money and your efforts. And I reject that. If you want something amazing to happen, you have to be willing to put it all out in the line and you have to dig down deep and you have to do soul searching and look at yourself in the mirror and say, is this worth it? And the city of Chattanooga and all Chattanoogans are, in fact, worth it. So let's take our city back from greedy oligarchs. Let's take our city back from corrupt bureaucrats. Let's eliminate fraud, waste, and abuse. Let's get people back to work. Let's get people livable wages. 
Let's fight for our firefighters. Let's make our say our street our, our city cleaner and safer and sustainable and prosperous. And let's do it. Let's think big. Vote for me, please. <laughs> so I've got one last question for you. What do you think is the most achievable change that you can make as mayor in Chattanooga? I'm talking about a, a first hundred days idea that no matter what the city council says, no matter you know what the lawyers say, you're sure that you can get done early and you're sure that you can get it done well. I'm sure within the first hundred days that we can get every homeless person off the streets and house. I already said what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up every available government room to our homeless people, including City Hall. And we are going to be extremely proactive. We're not going to wait for a charity to come to us and say, well, this is what we found, Andrew. We're going to get out there and we're going to search for people under bridges, in the woods, right down the street on East 11th Street. There's plenty of homeless people. We have so many available spaces and rooms and buildings to put our homeless people in. And it's a travesty that we're not doing it. When you go a couple of blocks down the street, Hall, there's hundreds of homeless people. How? How do we do that in our city? We have a, a wealthy and a prosperous city. It's outrageous, disgusting, and immoral that we are not taking better care of our people. And when I just say that we're going to not only house our homeless people, we're going to get them rehabilitation. We're going to get them mental health treatment. We're going to make sure that they've got clothes, that they've got uh, toiletries, that they've got access to health care, and that we're going to get them jobs with livable wages and benefits as many benefits as we can possibly get them. I think that healthcare is a human right. I don't think that it's an option. I don't think that it's a uh, something that's special or that only certain people should get. Everybody deserves healthcare and basic human dignity. So my commitment and my promise is that within the first 100 days, we are gonna get every homeless person off of the streets in Chattanooga. Great, well, Andrew McLaren, where can people find out more about you and your campaign? Our website is uh, McLarenForMayor.com, M-C-L-E-R-E-N-F-O-R-Mayor.com. And then I'm always on Facebook, uh, just Google my name, and then um, Instagram, Andrew McLaren88. And then Twitter, McLaren Chrome, like Chrome, uh, C-H-R-O-M-E, uh, Andrew Chrome on Twitter. And that's that's it. I'm, I'm very accessible. So please feel free to hit me up on Facebook. I'm... Uh, Usually I'm near the most and I look forward to talking to people. And my email is andrewmclaren008 at gmail.com. Email me if you've got suggestions, if you've got ideas or plans on how to make our city better. Or if you just want to meet with me in person and sit, sit with a mask six feet away from me, we can do that and we can talk. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time and good luck in March. Okay. Thanks so much, Nathan. I appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.